0: welcome to another episode of boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Adam Smith is a life coach and the co-founder of A-Game Consultancy, along with two of his other friends who are also named Adam. The Adam that we are chatting with today, the Smith variety, specializes at looking at where you're at, where you want to go, and what's standing in your way. Once you identify that, you can create new techniques to unlock your potential and live a more pers- purposeful life. Adam is a qualified life coach and knowledge broker. And can help unlock your biggest fears, self doubts, and earliest memories to create a more compelling future for yourself. He teaches people how to develop a better morning routine and healthier habits. Having struggled with depression and overcoming suicidal thoughts, he has a great level of empathy and understanding around mental health. A Game Consultancy is based out of Leeds, England, and can be found at www.agameconsultancy.com. Adam Smith, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body.
1: Hey, thank you very much for having me. It's great. What a great introduction as well. Thank
0: you. <laughs> of course. I'm just wondering if you decided like Adam is just the best name ever and you only ever want to work with other Adams. And so you had to search the planet near and far to find other Adams that are have the same interest in, and could start the company with you. Was that the case?
1: <laughs> well, I made one of them change the name. It was called Brian before. So no, it's, uh, <laughs> It was just uh, a wonderful, wonderful coincidence, really, in a sense. Uh, I've known both of them for a number of years but they've never actually met before and when I first started my coaching business they both reached out to me around um, limiting beliefs and bad habits and all that kind of stuff so I uh, worked with them individually and I don't necessarily have favorite clients but you have some calls which just light you up and I loved speaking to these two guys and Because one of them's a personal trainer and he also does physiotherapy and the other one's a nutritionist, I just started thinking there's a gap here because there's great PTs, there's great nutritionists and there's great coaches, but merging them all into one as one service would be very unique. And the fact that we're all called Adam is definitely unique. So um, I rang them both up one day and they both said, yeah, we're in, dead easy, that that simple. So, because they were both in... You know, coaching roles themselves, but their businesses weren't necessarily getting off the ground and they were both quite frustrated. So I said, do you want to join forces? And they both said, yeah. And we've we've loved it ever since
0: that's amazing. Yeah, no, you can totally tell you guys work together really well as a team and offer definitely like unique skill sets, which I'm very curious to talk about. It sounds like it goes beyond just answering the phone. And when somebody asks us, this is Adam, then the answer is always yes. Pretty easy. <laughs> um, I, you know, if I would, if I go back, if I go back 18 months, when we started this podcast, you know, generally speaking, you know, my wife and I are personal trainers. We do nutrition coaching, all kinds of you know tissue release. We thought the podcast would be so much more about exercise and nutrition and, you know, all the things that we deal with on a day-to-day you know, day to day level, but I would have been surprised 18 months later to see how many episodes we have done about mental health, behavior change, uh, you know, life coaching, all of this stuff. I would be pretty surprised. It, it just seems like this topic keeps coming up more and more and more and seems to be so much more important and, and such a great foundation for changing nutrition and changing fitness and all that stuff. So I, it, it's, it really is again, a surprising to me that it's, it's such a critical thing. But I, before we dive into that, I want to hear about you and your personal story and how you, Got into what you do today?
1: Sure. So um, I'll keep it as brief as I can. So I was in hospitality for 14 years. So I did that after working for my dad. He's got his own plumbing and heating business. And I hated that. I did it for about uh, 18 months and he wasted a lot of money putting me through my apprenticeship. And uh, (laughs) I hated it. So I went into hospitality, did that for 14 years, worked my way up into higher senior management. And I got to probably the age of uh, I mean I'm 33 now so I got into um, hospitality when I was 18 and I knew that I was done by probably 28 but I started panicking I was like, I don't know what it is else I can do you know there's lots of transferable skills from hospitality but I didn't have a great education in the sense of academia because I was never interested in school it's not how I learned information and I always knew that I loved people. I have an obsession with people and why we do what we do every day and how we can change it. And that's why I love coaching. And that's why I used to love managing people too. So this really came from a young age. I've got dyspraxia. So the way of learning information at school is how well you can retain it. And I couldn't retain it very well. And everything was written on the blackboards and the whiteboards and, it'd get rubbed off very quickly and I'd be able to keep up with it. So I started watching the classroom instead. I just started watching patterns of behavior and patterns of movement and what one child said and how the teacher responded and how the child responded to that response. It it just fascinated me from a very early age. And I carried this through to, you know, until the present day. So it was when I was probably 20, I actually had a, a life coach session of my own. And I remember coming out of the session and I'd actually taught him more than he taught me. And you know his handshake was terrible, like terrible. It was like a wet fish. I hate that. Yeah, uh, oh, it's the worst. He had no enthusiasm. He was slumped in his chair when he was talking to me. And I thought, I don't know what a life coach was in a sense. I went for it because it sounded interesting. And I came out feeling very deflated. So I guess it was probably on my radar from around that sort of age that that's what I wanted to do because I felt like I had – more charisma in my little toe than this guy had in his body. <laughs> so I um, I just never really pursued it through fear. And then when lockdown hit, it was, you know, for a lot of people, it caused a lot of people a lot of pain and frustration and me too. It, you know, I had a lot of downtime like everyone did. Um, but it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me hit the pause button and it made me reassess pretty much everything. Uh, the friendship circles I used to associate myself with, the standards of which I'd speak to other people, um, the standards which I'd speak to myself, my daily habits, oh, you name it. I I did some real deep thinking and it changed my life. And, you know, two years later, I went from depressed, overweight bar manager to running my own coaching business with two of my best friends. And, you know, we've worked with hundreds of clients, corporate um, clients, you name it. And it's just been the most incredible journey.
0: That's amazing. We just absolutely love talking to people who took, you know, what, what on the outset looked like a really terrible thing, the pandemic, and it was terrible in a lot of ways, but used it as an opportunity to create something new to hit that pause button, like you said, and really be more mindful about what things you wanted to bring back into life after everything had been stopped. I really do appreciate that. I'm curious to know what are some misconceptions that people generally have about life coaching?
1: Oh, that's a great question because there's many. So I actually recently became qualified in NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. And um, at the time of when we initially had our conversation, I you know, I hadn't had that qualification yet. So I was going through my training for it. With life coaching, I think the biggest misconception is that I tell you how to live your life and I've got it all figured out. And I'm this guru that's going to tell you to wake up at 5 a.m. and meditate and da-da-da-da. that's just simply not true. I, you know, very much have set templates in the sense of what I believe will help people. You know, exercise, eating healthily, drinking water, meditation, practicing gratitude aren't going to make anybody feel worse. So those are sort of you know basics that I help people with, and creating morning routine and habit creation and all that kind of stuff. But the things that I help people with is is vast, really. I'm, I'm kind of similar in uh, only in the sense of my approach to Tony Robbins in that. I'm not a therapist but I've got a unique skill set where I can just help people unlock earliest memories and you know their biggest problems within an hour session you know just by asking good questions because I studied Tony Robbins for many many years on how he asks great questions and unlocks people's you know truth in a very short period of time and it fascinated me how he could do that so quickly so I just used to study him incessantly and how he did that so that's what essentially what my job is. My job is to ask great questions and then lead people to the answer. Because we often go, oh, but the answer's staring us right in the face. No, the answer's staring me right in front of my face. My view of the world may be, for example, you need to be in great shape, you need to wake up at six, you need to drink three liters of water, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody else's view of the world might be drastically different. So it's not my answer. Oh, sorry, it's not their answer that's staring them in the face. It's my answer. And that's where my coaching shifted when I realized that it wasn't ever about me. It's always about the client's interest. So that was probably literally after about a month to six weeks of when I first started coaching. I was very much directive, more like mentorship and telling people what they needed to do. But I watched many videos, read many great books around it. And there was one around NLP that just said, it's just because they've got a different view of the world than you. And that really hit me. So, you know, when PTs and coaches and they're telling clients what they must do, ask more questions. What is it you really want? Do you actually want to lose weight? Do you want to improve your strength? Do you want to become fitter? Do you want to increase the size of your arms or your legs? It doesn't really matter, but we're so busy in the coaching remit of pointing the finger and letting our, you know, gums flap as opposed to keeping our mouths shut and keeping our ears open. So once I learned that skill of just sitting quietly, patiently, holding that space with someone, asking great follow-up questions, that changed everything in terms of life coaching. So I think that the biggest misconception is that we tell you what to do. And, you know, there are, there will be some coaches that do that, but that's not what I do at all.
0: Wow, that is really well explained. We couldn't agree more. That skill of listening is so critical. I could always tell if I was around like a brand new personal trainer when they were doing a consultation because they might sit down with somebody and say, Well, how much weight do you want to lose? And it's like, mm. hold on, they, you, you don't even know that that person wants to lose weight. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's so much better to sit down and listen to somebody and let them talk things out. And oftentimes they'll come up with the solutions themselves when we didn't really even do anything to help them along. I, you know, we talk a lot about different techniques and things to change behavior. And I think all of us are aware, at least at, at some level of some things that we could do. And they're they're simple things they're not terribly complicated things but that doesn't mean that they're easy can you talk about the difference between simple and easy and how some of these strategies might be simple but they can be kind of difficult for people
1: oh god yeah the, when you look at something like you know we'll use weight loss for an example cuz it's an easy one to go to or let's say you know a uh, fitness journey however you want to word it but we'll go with weight loss cuz a lot of people really say that's what they want so weight loss is really really simple but it's really not easy. It's simple, calorie deficit, make sure you've got a well-balanced nutritionist diet that you can stick to, drink plenty of water, make sure that you're active. You'll lose weight. It is that simple. Is it easy? No, because there is so many complexities around why that person can't lose weight, not only in the health sector, because I don't know every reason around it, You know, around thyroids and what have you. I don't know the science behind all that kind of stuff, but there is a little bit around genetics not as much as we would often give off in terms of body shape and things like that, then yes. But in terms of habits and what have you, then that's that's really a fallacy. That's a lie. But most of it is it could be an eating disorder based around when you were five or six years old and your parents may have said to you, oh, you need to eat all your dinner if you're going to grow up to be a big boy. It might be there are starving kids around the world. You have to eat everything on your plate. And if you stack your plate up, then you're going to eat everything on your plate because you were told to from a young age. And that's the standard that you've embedded in your mindset for however long. It might be that you don't have the resources to be able to do it, or you don't know where to look in order to achieve those resources. It might be that, you've got this limiting belief that you deserve to be happy instilled in you from a very young age because your football coach told you you were rubbish and that you were never going to make the team. So you've applied that to every other aspect of your life, which is known as an emotional anchor. So every um, difficulty or challenge that you've experienced throughout the course of your life will just reaffirm that anchor of not being good enough, of not deserving. So Even if you got towards your desired end outcome, you would feel like you didn't really deserve it. So this is where self-sabotage kicks in. It might be that they've given themselves way too big a goal to hit in the first place. So I'll run through it very quickly. It's something we refer to as the five stages of making lasting change. So the first one is you have to be painfully aware that there's a problem. Number two, you have to make a decision to change. Number three, you have to make sure that you get a strategy in place. Number four, you have to make sure that you're accountable to somebody. And then number five is take massive imperfect action. If you don't do it, those five things, I really don't believe you'll see long lasting change because people put so much emphasis on one end goal and then they've got no continuation plan. There's no strategy to take it forward. So if you put all of your you know, worth and success in weight loss, let's say, and let's say you weigh, I don't know, 200 pounds and you want to get down to 175 and then you get down to 175, then what happens? If you're at 176, does it mean you're a failure? Even though you might've changed all your habits and you might look better than ever, but you've said 175. So if you stick to that and you've got this rigidity in your mindset, because that's a goal you've decided you're going to have a huge problem. And this is the biggest issue that I see is that people overcomplicate things all the time. And, you know, it's oh, losing weight is really, really, really uh, difficult. And it's like it, it, the, the method isn't, but the things that back it up definitely are. So um, I would say there's a huge difference between what's simple and what's easy. Um, once you understand what they are, you can change the narrative, you can change the trajectory on which you're on. Um, because like I said, most of the time it's instilled from a very young age, our, our beliefs about what we think of ourselves and what we think of the world too.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I see that all the time in races and events and things that people are training for. And they really, truly don't realize it is the journey. It's not the destination. That day is going to come and go in the blink of an eye. It's everything that leads up to that and everything that continues after that. It it sounds cliche, but it really is all about the journey. And, and and it's a process of never really like truly arriving. You mentioned goal setting, which I think is really important. I think a lot of people get this one wrong. How can we make smarter goals that better align? with what we truly want in life and that are different than than like you said like an event that comes and goes and is done or weight loss that you achieved which is just a number on a scale
1: yeah sure so um, I've got some statistics around goal setting actually it is very very interesting um you know the main reason is to why most people actually fail their goals it could be a number of things um too big a goal to start with not knowing what the desired end outcome is not necessarily writing down their goals um, in the first place. Only 9% of people actually write down goals. And this is based in stats in America. And of that, only 3% of people actually achieve their goals too, which is quite frightening, really. Wow. Considering most people say to me, Oh, I write down my goals all the time. And you know, loads of people say this. And some of them must be lying. Uh, because (laughs) at the end of the day, the statistics say different. So um, essentially, if you want to achieve a goal, um, put a date to it. It's something known as a see-through goal. So um, how it works is you put a date to when you actually want to achieve the goal, and you're reflecting on the goal as if you've already done it. So this is very, very powerful. So when you get to, I don't know, let's say I want to run a marathon. So you go, right, okay, when do you want to run the marathon by? I want to do it by September. And let's say it's, you know, as the date is today. You want to reflect on it as if you've already done it. So how it works, the see-through goal is, this is an example. Um, It's September the 20th, and I'm driving back from the New York marathon with my partner, Steve, or my partner, Joanne, or whatever, Uh, and we're reflecting on how incredible the marathon was. The next bit is you want to say the continuation. I've already booked my next marathon, and it's going to be in Boston in X amount of time. I'm going to set daily goals to achieve that and make sure I have a coach to keep me accountable. So if you do it like that, you're almost reflecting on as if it's already been completed. So these are the statistics, the probability of achieving a goal. 10%, if you have an idea of what the goal is, you'll achieve it. 40% if you decide to do it. So only 40%. So if I decide to start doing a marathon, there's a 40% likelihood that I'm actually going to do the marathon. It goes to 50% if you make a plan to do it. It goes to 65% if you promise someone else you'll do it. Then it goes up to a massive 95% if you have a specific accountability appointment with the person that you've committed to. So if you said to your wife, let's run the, you know, again, for example, marathon in September, and then we're going to do a see-through goal together. We're going to write down as if we've already achieved it and reflection and then get a continuation plan. You're 95% likely to actually achieve that goal. But most people just have an idea. This is where new year's resolutions come in. And this is why they're so terrible so, and then they just decide to do it. I'm going to go run 5K. And let's say they haven't run 5K in three years and they're probably wearing the wrong footwear. They probably haven't warmed up or stretched. They're probably not um, adequately hydrated. And then they go to run the 5K. They get to 2K. They can't breathe. I'm a loser. I'm a failure. Why did I even bother in the first place? And then they quit.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, that is so well explained. I'm so glad you were able to share those statistics. This is why I I sometimes get a little frustrated that more people don't do this type of coaching because, you know, there's a difference between buying something and you spend your money and it's gone versus really investing in yourself and and using coaching as that accountability. That's so critical. I would have guessed that, that, you know, the accountability piece would have been important, but 95%, that's, that's really high.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you know, we say all the time, we don't need trainers. We don't need coaches, but it helps. I don't need a barber to cut my hair. But if I didn't do it, it looked like Edward Scissorhands has had a go on it. So, <laughs> you know, having the expert there is definitely helpful. LeBron James has a coach and he does quite well in what he does. So, That's you know, we always feel like, we can do it on our own because this is where ego comes in. But there's a great saying that ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. Mm. Basically saying drop your ego and you'll start to see results and you'll start to see success because no one achieved anything of greatness completely on their own, including Usain Bolt, including tennis players, including people in high performing athletes that perform on their own. They've got a team around them. They've got a team of coaches, nutritionists, personal trainers, mobility experts, you name it, no one achieved anything of greatness, just completely on their own. So if you can collaborate with somebody, it's going to push you, it's going to test you, it's going to challenge you and also keep you accountable because let's be honest, we've all had that workout in the gym where we go with no energy, we sit on the bench and we start scrolling through Instagram (laughs) or we start checking our email or we start doing stupid stuff that isn't going to serve us because it it just gets in the way sometimes. We're not always as motivated. When you've got a trainer or a coach sat next to you, barking at you or pushing you, you're going to get so much more out of it. And that's what it's all about.
0: That's very well explained. Uh, You know, a lot of the goals that we make are obviously not things that we will achieve tomorrow or next week. They're much longer term. And when we change our behaviors, we don't always get instant gratification from those behavior changes. And so oftentimes you see that people, you know, will try something for a week or two or three and they're not really getting to their goals yet because those results compound over time. And over a really long period of time, they end up quitting. How can people stay more motivated when it's not a goal that they can achieve right away?
1: Yeah, such a great question as well, because this is this is the, the full game, isn't it? It's patience. And if it's taken you two or three years to get out of shape and get miserable and depressed, it's going to take a little bit of time to get out of it too. And a lot of the cliches do come into play here, which is about being 1% better than you were yesterday. You know, it's you versus you. Comparison is the thief of joy. I could go on and on, but in reality, it either matters to you or it doesn't. And the problem is most people associate um a bigger pain with change than they do about remaining the same and if you're miserable there's no pain worse than staying the same so most people don't quit smoking or quit drinking alcohol because the the pain they associate is oh no well i'm gonna you know stop being a social i'm not going to see my friends as much when it comes to alcohol for example think about all the things i'm going to miss out on they don't think psoriasis of the liver They don't think uh, affecting my bank balance. They don't think um, causing me anxiety, which is what it's currently doing right now. So there's a great phrase from the, in my opinion, one of the best habit books around called the compound effect by Darren Hardy, which is elephants don't bite you, but mosquitoes do. It's the little things in your life that are tripping you up right now. And if you rectified them day by day and exuded that patience, you're going to change your life forever. But like you said, we live in this instant gratification society of Instagram likes and Amazon Prime and you name it. <clears throat> Unfortunately, there is no quick fix to this. You can get quick results by doing stupid fad diets, but that's not sustainable. That's not going to create long lasting change for you. It's going to get you to you know, a point of real misery real quick. So the simplest way I explain it to people is if I gave you a blue pill, to swallow tomorrow and you lost a hundred pounds, let's say, and let's say that was your target and you did it in a day, but you will not value it because you'd have no idea on how to do it. You might look good for a couple of days, maybe a couple of weeks, but then what happens? You're going to slowly start to put the weight back on. You're going to become really miserable because you didn't look as good as you did on day one. You've got no idea of how you got there. The hardships, the, the calluses on your hands and your feet and your mind, You've just been given it handed to you on a plate and no one's ever valued anything that's been completely handed to them. So I'd always encourage people to just to go back to the basics, stick to the cliches because the cliches are there for a reason and just realize that it's you versus you 1% better. If yesterday you ran for five minutes tomorrow, go out and run for five minutes and five seconds, because I tell you in 90 days, you'll be running for 30 minutes without even realizing it, just by adding 5 to 10 seconds every day for 90 days. It's crazy how the compound effect works. If, if you're unfit, for example, and you don't think marathon, think going to get my shoes on and I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a 20-minute walk around the block. We can all do that, right? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> the issue is they associate where they're at now with the marathon. It's like an actor wanting to become an actor thinking, where's my Oscar? It's not going to happen. If you want to become an actor, think local acting school, think getting an agent, think going out there for auditions. You don't think, oh, where's my Oscar next to Leonardo DiCaprio? And that's exactly the same with fitness and with health in general. It's understanding that having the big goal is fine because it needs to scare you in order to push you, and I agree. But that has to be broken down into bite-sized chunks rather than focusing on the whole pie.
0: Mm. Wow. There's also this concept of like, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing where I want to go, where I want my life to be. Uh, you know, I want to be the Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'm comparing myself against how much further I have to go versus looking back and saying, look how far I've come. I've already grown in so many different ways and done so many things to get to this point. I, I think that's a much kinder way to, to realize that we have grown quite a bit, even when it seems like we've got so much further to go.
1: Oh, gotcha. It's the only time you should ever look back to see how far you've come. And I know that sounds quite corny, but it's true. And I'm sure there's a version of this in America, but in England, it's called Slimming World and it's terrible. It's absolutely toxic. You get given a very restrictive diet. You're allowed certain food groups and other food groups are demonized, which I hate anyway. Um, Too much of anything can be a bad thing, right? So, um, and at the end of the week, you go in a group environment and they do a weigh-in. And it's primarily, not always, but it's primarily groups of women. And obviously women's weight can fluctuate so drastically compared to men's, mainly through the menstrual cycle, but also due to water retention and other reasons and hormones and what have you. Um, So they jump on the scales in front of everybody else and they get weighed. And, you know, it's like if you lose four pounds, you get a big round of applause. If you put one pound on, God forbid, which could be a bowel movement, by the way, um, you get demonized. Not like insulted, but it's like, oh, why have you put weight on this week? Even though that person might be a mum of three, she might be working two jobs to make ends meet, she might be waking up a little bit earlier, eating a little bit healthier, drinking a little bit more water. But now, just because she's put one pound on all that self-worth is just thrown out of the window because of what a scale says. It's ludicrous and it has to stop. There's so much toxicity around this remit and there's so much contradicting information too. Even what I'm saying will be different to what someone else will say. It's all just opinion. Of course it is. But the point I'm getting to is that 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 in itself is is drastic and it, it really has to stop as soon as possible because like you just said there, this this woman, for example, may have developed 10 new incredible habits that she couldn't have even fathomed only weeks ago, but now she's being ridiculed because of one metric, which is weight loss, which is absurd.
0: Wow. It creates this entire population of people that just think there's something that is inherently wrong with them, that they are broken. Everybody else is doing great, but they suck and they'll never get to their goals. And for every like one-on-one consultation I have with people that that comes out at some point, generally speaking for most people and most people don't understand that pretty much everybody else is kind of feeling the same way because of that, that culture. I I'm so glad you brought that up and I I couldn't agree more. We have to get rid of that kind of thing. I think that's atrocious.
1: Yeah, there's there's a phrase that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uses, which is, nobody at school cares about your zits. They care about their own zits. So when you're in the gym and you might feel insecure, are people staring at me? No, people are staring at themselves because we're very self-absorbed, and they're feeling that you're staring at them too. So (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, Getting that into somebody's mind is obviously very difficult, but I ask them one question, do you care what other people are doing? No. Then why do you think they care what you're doing? <laughs> and it's just such a simple question, but it goes most of the time it's, oh, yeah. Totally. Like, if you decided that they care, then they care. If you've decided they don't care, they don't care. I said, you get to choose where your focus goes. And whatever you focus on, you'll find if you focus on every lump and bump and scar and, you know, problem that you've got with your body, you're going to find it. If you focus on all the beautiful things about you, all the things that you admire and practice that self-love and gratitude, and instead of saying, I have to go to the gym, I get to go to the gym, will reframe your whole mindset anyway, because think about how many people out there can't go to the gym because of either a mental block, a physical um, issue that they may or may not have, you know, things like that. So once you can practice gratitude around the fact that you get to do these things, I really think it shifts your focus and then you just start debunking all these uh, BS narratives that you've created in your mind that other people are going to be staring at me, I've got no confidence, blah, blah, blah. It's just a case of that shift in mindset. And I like to refer to it as, you know, we all have apps in our brains that have been put there, but some of them, like on our iPhone, they're just taking up storage. Just delete that app. Do you need it? Do you need self-doubt anymore? Do you need limiting beliefs anymore? Do you need lack of confidence anymore? No, just delete it. It's still going to be there. It's still going to be in the cloud. You can't get rid of it forever completely, but you need to be staring at it every single day. Do you need to be wasting time on it every single day? No, download a new app, download a new way of thinking. And people go, oh, but it's not that simple. Unfortunately, it is. A lot of it's down to the power of choice. And more often than not, we choose the wrong things because again, we go back to the feeling of not deserving. Mm.
0: That is very well explained. I really love that analogy of the apps. And, and you're right. It, it might not be easy, but it can be very simple. Um, I think that's part of why there's so much, you know, so much content out there in the self-help world because everybody's looking for the magic pill or the next way. And we, you know, people make a lot of money on this when really it's, it's just deciding what you want and, and, you know, finding simple ways to make that happen. I do want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the importance of a morning routine. So why is a morning routine important and what things do you find are most important for you in your own personal morning routine?
1: Sure. So really a, a routine is a sequence of actions repeatedly done. I think that's the exact definition in in the dictionary. And again, there's so much guilt in the self-help space around 5am club, around what you must do and, you know, the new gurus trying to sell their product. So you have to do this in order to be successful. It's just simply not true. Everyone's got their own method and everyone's got their own thing that works for them. What I help people with and what I, um, you know, introduce is what do you want to do? Can you have 10 minutes? to yourself because a good morning routine is reverse engineered from a good night routine. If your night routine is terrible, guess what? Your morning routine hasn't got a chance. So it's little things, setting yourself up for success from the night before. So you either have order or you have chaos and that might sound quite extreme, but it's true. If you're not organized from the evening, and in the morning, you want to go to the gym for the 6 a.m. class, let's say. And you wake up at 5.30 and you live 10 minutes away from the gym and you've not got your gym kit ready and your partner's still asleep and you're scrambling around in the dark and you pick up two odd socks and you pick up your wife's leggings instead of your tracksuit bottoms. <laughs> you know, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so if you can just on an evening get yourself prepared. So, again, we'll go with a fitness one. So have your water bottle ready have your, you know, might have tablets or uh, vitamins out for the night, uh, for the morning, Uh, put your gym kit out, get that ready. I have a, well, I'll go into my routine separately, but you might have a book to write down your goals, put that downstairs next to where you keep your breakfast and your coffee. So it's something known as um, habit stacking. So habit stacking essentially is attaching things to other things you're already doing. So if you're brushing your teeth and let's say you're taking a vitamin C and a vitamin D tablet in the morning, have a pint of water next to it. So you've brushed your teeth, you drink a pint of water, and then you have the tablets straight away. You've done a habit stack because you've paired three mini tasks together straight away. If you're waking up currently and just making your bed and eating breakfast, that's a routine. So how can we add something that's going to bring you joy? What would you like to do? And, you know, it might be in the worst scenario, it's a mom of three young kids and she's on her own. The best scenario is it's a, you know, youngish guy around my age that's single and has all the time in the world. So it doesn't really matter what your lifestyle is. We can all have 10 minutes. So do the night routine first, get that down and get all your stuff out that you need for the morning to set yourself up for success.
0: You mentioned gratitude earlier, and I think this is something that could be easily stacked into a morning or nighttime routine as well. Is there a particular way that you recommend people practice gratitude? Is it something they write down? Is it something they record in a different way? How how do you recommend that people practice that?
1: Sure. So I tend to do it after I've meditated. So I've got myself into a calm meditative state and then I'll get into what's known as peak state. So this is something that Tony Robbins has been practicing for 40 years. And eventually they did a study on it at Harvard University around four years ago. Um, or It might have been Yale or Berkeley, I can't remember. But one of the top schools in America, I know he did a study on it. And just by standing like a superhero, so you put your hands on your hips, you put your shoulders back, you put your chest out, you put your legs apart. And you do a deep breath in through your nose for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, and release it for 4 seconds by doing that just for 2 minutes it increases your testosterone in men and women by um 22% it decreases cortisol which is stress by 19% and you're 33% more likely to take action so just by standing like that and hold it uh, straight away just by doing it once i've genuinely got like a couple of tingles down my arms So you can imagine the impact it has for that. After I get myself into that state, I might put on my favorite song. I might put like an inspirational video on and I'll just bounce on my toes and I'll just start getting some blood around my body. Then I practice gratitude because if you practice gratitude and you're sat in a lousy state or you slumped on your bed and you say, I am grateful for my life. I feel incredible. I feel amazing. It has no resonance with your brain whatsoever. So you could say any words. If you're in a lousy physical state, your body's not going to believe it. Equally, if you're in a positive state, i.e. shoulders back, chest out, speaking with an upbeat tone, I could say anything and my brain will still like it. I could say, I'm a piece of crap and no one likes me and everything. And your brain's going, I don't know what's happening, but I feel good, right? And your body's (laughs) responding to it. This isn't rah-rah or woo-woo. This is just science. Your body is designed to move. So when you're just writing down gratitude, it's fine. It serves a purpose because you're actually bringing it to life by writing it down. You're bringing it to your conscious mind rather than your unconscious mind. Now, the difference is when you say it, it resonates with your body. So it's something known as the triad of the meaning of life. It's what we say, it's how we say it, and it's how we hold ourselves when we say it. So it turns from an affirmation to an incantation. So rather than just saying, oh, I feel great, it's, I feel great, I feel amazing, I am so grateful for my family, I'm grateful for my partner, I'm grateful for my health, I'm grateful for my business today, I'm going to go out, I'm going to achieve my goals, let's go. Straight away, your body's just going, fucking boom, we're ready. We are ready for the day ahead, right? As opposed to sitting down, journaling can be quite peaceful. And again, this is just what works for me. I like to get going. I like to get my blood pumping. Some people might find it a bit too intense. So just do what's comfortable for you. I'd always start by writing it down for sure, because you can't be grateful and take things for granted at the same time. And we often take things for granted every single day. Even me, we all do it. So instead, just start practicing gratitude around small things. I'd highly recommend getting like a a journal or a productivity planner or something that at least prompts you to write it down as a starting point. But if you can up it and then go to the incantation side of it, I'm telling you, you don't need coffee in the morning if you do that because your energy levels are going to be off the charts.
0: That's great. I really appreciate that you went there with that question, that it's not necessarily enough just to be grateful for things, but it's the way that you do that. Um, You know, you starting this business with the two other Adams, tell me a little bit about how each of you complement each other and your your unique gifts can help people um, as they need it as a team.
1: Yeah, sure. So it's not only in the skill set around getting the client the result, but actually how the business functions too. So um, I'm obviously the mindset coach. Adam Mayhew is the nutritionist and he's also like an ultra marathon runner. So his mindset is off the scale in terms of, um, you know, like David Goggins-esque. Uh, So he's great for the mindset stuff too. And the other Adam Hindley is a physiotherapist and a personal trainer. So we tend to specialize in like eight to 12 week programs for people. Not you'll change your whole life and have a six pack and have a Lamborghini and be a millionaire, but it's a great starting point. If you focus on yourself for 90 days, you can really start to change your life around. So we give people full nutritional um, plans, recipes, menus, work out your macros, calorie deficit, you name it. Uh, Everything's catered to the client. Uh, We've got mobility programs, we've got CrossFit exercises, gym programs, again, all things around body and functionality. And then with me, it's everything from morning routine to NLP coaching, destroying limiting beliefs, that kind of thing. We also do weekly group coaching too. So all of our community comes together on a Tuesday evening and we um, you know, talk about the things that have been great wins this week, any challenges that people have gone through. And we really rely on the genius of the room to help everybody else, which is just awesome because you can see this true growth and these relationships start to develop. In the actual business, Adam Heinley's is a content creator, he's an expert on all things YouTube and Reels and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Adam Mayhew is amazing at finances and automations and back of house, and I do very much around the forward-facing, front-facing marketing, uh, relationship building, sales, and all that kind of stuff. So not only does it work from the client's perspective, it also helps in the running of the business as well.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal. What an amazing team and what a very comprehensive suite of offerings that you guys offer. This has been a great conversation, really fun. And I've definitely learned a lot about habits and building better ones and having better goals. If you had one simple tip that you'd like to distill down to the listener to take and apply into their lives, what would that one simple tip be?
1: Um, Deal with the reality of your situation. This one phrase changed my life because we often look at things for worse than they are. And then, you know, eventually we have to look at it for better than it is as well. But just deal with the reality of it. If you're overweight, own it. I'm overweight and I want to change. If you're in a relationship and you're miserable, again, look to change it. Either figure it out, talk about it, or leave the relationship. If your business is failing, deal with the reality of it. Do I need a loan? Do I need to speak to somebody? Do I need to gain a mentor? Do I need to cut costs? Regardless of what it is, you can apply it to any area of your life but just deal with the reality and don't make it worse than it is. Look at it for what it is. If you can stick to that method, you're going to start to see big changes in your life. And it's not, again, it's uh, it's real simple, but it ain't easy. Big difference. So yeah,
0: I would stick with that big difference. That was a great answer. Adam, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work? Sure. So, um, a lot of it will
1: end with a game consultancy. So, um, I would go on A-Game Consultancy is our Instagram name we've got agameconsultancy.com which is our website I'm on uh, Instagram as my handle I changed it just yesterday so um, (laughs) it's Adam Smith underscore NLP coach and we've also got a YouTube channel called Bring Your A-Game which has got a load of different podcasts and videos and weekly things that we do for people as well
0: Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Adam Smith, one of three Adams and co-founder of A Game Consultancy. Thank you so very much for all of your work, for discovering some of this stuff yourself and sharing it with us in a way that's really easy. Again, not easy, but but simple and practical and things that we can apply into our life. So thank you so very much for all of your work. And thank you for appearing on our show today. We are really grateful for you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Casey. It's been, uh, been great chatting to you.
0: Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as as have we Um, As we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual Matt Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've Gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.